Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. It sounds like somewhere in Thomas the Tank Engine, maybe, Piff. <laughs> oh my God, bite your arm <laughs> off for an away day in Sudor. <laughs> From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back, like Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, for one week only. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing, Devo? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing okay, Rog. Flew out to the coast uh, late on Sunday night for a bit more jeopardy, cramming in as many episodes as possible before the World Cup starts. Um, but I know you were also travelling this weekend. Yeah, I was in New Orleans. Oh, my home away from home. The city that Larry Nance Jr. built. Oh, watching <laughs> the mighty Green Wave. Yes, the Tulane on, Green David. Wave. The Tulane Green Wave. Not one of the most fashionable uh, football programs in the NCAA. Yeah, they had, I think they had their first sellout for like... 12,000 years. I will say, if you're listening, Greenwave, you'd probably need to have more than like one hot dog vendor and one beer <laughs> vendor. Now you have, you know, actual fans. But I did have, and I want to acknowledge this, I did have one of the most perfect sports weekends, the Green Wave, up to number 23. That is, that is heady. Honestly, I'd bite your arm well, off for Everton to finish 23rd this season. <laughs> but, it's, but It's possible. Uh, but they won. I mean, dominantly. Hello to all the Memphis fans who I saw, uh, really a glorious bunch of human beings um, at the stadium, a lot of GFOPs. Everton won. I mean, we will discuss that with, we're still, with a massive amount of astonishment, the Bears won. Last night, didn't just win, but I mean, this was, this was Super Bowl 20 level domination over the New England Patriots. Take that, Tommy Vito, you bastard. And, um... Liverpool lost. Yeah, this all makes you, until that final sentence, Rog, this all made you feel like a better person. And then at the end, 
with Liverpool's loss, you just had to reveal yourself again. Well, it's funny because I have thought about that. I just threw that in just because, because there is an Everton song that they've sung since I was a kid that just what a wonderful, you know, the best kind of weekend is when I'm singing the blues, when Everton win and Liverpool lose. But we got a uh, GFOP at Dr. M Baxter um, who wants to know, how are you feeling, Rog, after Everton Crystal Palace? Are you feeling amazingly gleeful at the double three points, hinting, I think, there at the Liverpool loss too? Or existential dread, knowing that Everton and their season peaked today. And I've got to be candid, I laughed when I read that tweet because it, you called me out, you see through me, Dr. And Baxter. Even in moments of happiness, Dave, the Cossacks are behind every door, remember. I savour the joy for a fleeting minute and now I know we have something to lose. A lot to lose. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, but it was fleeting joy. Um, and more than fleeting joy, it was a rampant performance, but we'll get to that uh, later. How did you experience Liverpool's loss? Well, a little bit, as Dr. M said, like, I did think, wow, Everton, that was like, the, if that was the height of the season, I loved it and I made memories. But I thought a lot, you know, about not, as you hinted, trying to take vicarious pleasure from um, from rivals' defeats. I thought a lot recently about something that Matt Lucas said when he came on our show, the Little Britain creator, massive, massive Arsenal fan. And he said something that I've really not forgotten and that I'm really trying to channel into at the moment. He said... You've always got to remember in life, you meet everyone twice, once when you're on the way up and then again when you're on the way down. And he said, treat them both times accordingly. And that, Davo, is how I'm trying to treat both the victory and the slaying of all my rivals this weekend, knowing full well that joy is a false friend. It's a very false friend, Davo. I think Matt Lucas said that on our show about 10 years ago, Roger. It's, it's taken a long time for it to sink in. Uh, okay, before we get into this weekend's football news from Gaul, or at least Men in Blazers World HQ, Roger. No, no, we, no, 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 no. We are just 26 days until the World Cup, uh, spelt with a Q, and we are packing our footballer-style <laughs> dop kits and preparing to head out across this great nation for our Men in Blazers this Cups for you tour, in which we'll celebrate the tournament with you, dear GFOPs. But it all kicks off in New York City, and then we'll slingshot out of uh, our adopted hometown to hit Philadelphia, DC, Austin, Atlanta, St. Louis, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, and Nashville. I'd like to think of it less slingshot, more, well, of a casual meander, a bit like the bubbles across David Moyes' field of vision. When he wins in that London stadium, that's one of my favourite things in football. When Moisey leaves the field, there's few sights more incongruous than just him, the grouch and the joyful bubbles of victory. But back to the tour, Dave. I do want to say we are blown away. This being World Cup time and just football, just girding its loins. The, the incredible guests who are going to be joining us to revel and make memories every single step of the way, starting in New York City, November the 15th, our preview show where John Oliver, a great friend, just the, 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 the most regular guest in Men in Blazers history, will headline an incredible night of thousand stars. We'll go deep on both the United States prospects, which I won't be clear, are very, very good, as well as <laughs> beloved England's, which are very, very Liz Trust. Come and make World Cup memories. Come and raise a glass with us afterwards. We can't wait. I'd bite your arm off for Liz Trust, uh, Rog. Hold uh, down the spoiler midfield. Alert, neither, neither, 
the US or England are going to win the World Cup. But anyway, don't want to, don't want to spoil the whole thing for everybody. Um, tickets are on sale now, Roger, at meninblazers.com. We should also mention that the premiere episode of Go Go USA, your new US men's national team pod with Brendan Hunt, debuted this Sunday. What a debut it was. New episodes drop every Sunday from now up until the World Cup. Combine this with your World Corrupt pod with Crooked Media's Tommy Vitor about the complexities and moral conundrums of this tournament. And your heat map is reaching Brendan Aronson levels. (laughs) You're going to get a chance to take a break and have a drink now as we request a toast. Oh, I want to raise my third first bud of the day to the fact that the World Cup is hurtling towards us and the US men in Europe had one of their most uplifting weekends in a long, long, long time. First up, Weston McKinney scored his first Serie A goal of the season for Juventus. A bullet header off a corner kick in Juve's win over Empoli. The world needs more celebratory wand. Then Ricardo Pepe, remember him? He only became the first player to score five consecutive Eredivisie goals for FC Groningen since David Teixeira in 2012. Dude has dropped down a level and he has refound his mojo and it's good humanly to witness. But best of all, Gio Reyna scored his first Dortmund goal in 421 days. What an agony, particularly when you realise he's only 19 years old and he came of age in my hometown of Bedford, New York. He has experienced a gruelling battle, a gauntlet of hamstring injuries, one after the other, really Grant Hill style. And when he lashed home, In the 44th minute against VFP Stuttgart, there was a burst of pure elation as he pointed to the heavens and then entered a knee slide. Unlike every knee slide, Sally, it has to come to a stop as all knee slides have to. And he just exhaled, fell forward, collapsed into the Signal Iduna turf and was smothered by his teammates in a blanket of support and love. It was an intensely beautiful moment, a mixture of joy, and relief, I just say, raising that bud to more, much more. And Davo, we will have more on all the Americans playing abroad in our new American States United newsletter, which flies every Wednesday. Subscribe now at meninblazers.com. Brilliant, watch. Okay, to the football, beginning with Chelsea 1, Manchester United 1, a game which left the key action until rather late. Goalless, heading towards stoppage time. Scott McTominay, most controversial muck since McDonald's muck, Qatar burger, was penalised for wrapping both arms around Armando Broya's midriff on an 85th minute corner. Jorginho hopped up to the ensuing penalty, converting with a skippity jump what looked like the winning goal until the 90th minute plus four when Luke Shaw slung a hopeful cross into the box for Casemiro and his five Champions League trophies <laughs> to leap towards and head back across Kepa. It went down a fifth straight draw between the two and the seventh in the last nine meetings. Chelsea now fifth, United in sixth. <sighs> a game which really began in the shadows of the pre-game gossip and hubris nemesis hubbub the previous Wednesday dear listeners you may remember United had beaten Spurs 2-0 it felt so glorious Eric Ten Hag rightfully calling it the best team performance of the season a moment of progress and collective joy that was tarnished by Cristiano Ronaldo's incredible decision to seize that moment to scuttle down the old Trafford Tunnel. He did scuttle, didn't he? Is that the verb you'd use, David? Yeah, to scuttle. Yeah, it was sort of it was sort of a shifty hangdog walk. 
Yeah, I mean, the only thing that was really missing from it and just his level of skullduggery was if he was smoking a cigarette, just like, don't give two craps, give fingers to the crowd as he walks off and made it all about him. He knew in that moment that that action would take this moment of real poetry for Manchester United to just overshadow the whole thing. It was yeah. his disappointment, his frustration, his pity party that would dominate the headlines. And Ten Hag immediately banished the Portuguese captain from the squad. The two men had crisis talks this morning. This really is Ten Hag's Arteta Uber moment in many ways. And today, Ronaldo returned to training. But you've got to imagine you know, the, the complications within that club. The Glazers, commercially obsessed, looking at the, what is it, 472 Instagram followers that Ronaldo brings to Manchester United. And they care about those almost more than the points that Ten Hag's going to glean. Ronnie, for his part, dropped a non-apology apology. I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> he said, sometimes the heat of the moment gets the best of us. Um, on Thursday evening saying giving into the pressure is not an option, which is a brave line, uh, but one that didn't include the word sorry or apology and also conveniently forgets this is actually the second time that the heat of the moment has taken over Ronnie and he's walked out of a game because early this campaign, pre-season against Rayo, he did exactly the same. What is going on, Davo? Yeah, you know, I sent the uh, text of that apology to a Portuguese friend of mine. I said, look, translate this into Portuguese. There's no way that Ronnie would have written that in English uh, as though Ronnie wrote it at all. And I said, translate that to Portuguese. And he wrote to me that it's literally untranslatable. No Portuguese person would ever have written these lines. Ronnie wrote it as a fado, (laughs) just the the sad, soul, heartbreaking music. And then I think it was translated from Ronnie's fado into a public relations statement. Yeah, it was so long, it really said nothing, and it sounded completely unlike the man. Um, honestly, this situation just made me very, just made me very sad. Ronaldo is, you know, you compared it, you know, to Arteta and Aubameyang, but you know, with respect, Aubameyang is not the legend that Ronaldo is in world soccer. He's not, you know, the person constantly compared to Lionel Messi within debates amongst kids all around the world as who is the best player in the world. Ronaldo is a legend. He has movies made about him, documentaries, glowing documentaries. He is heroic. He is godlike uh, to people. And this was such poor behavior by a football player. It just made me very sad. The apology, clearly not written by him. The way you describe it, it's just a reminder that death is coming for us all. (laughs) And maybe the more logical thing to do, Ronnie, would have to Ted Williams it just Put yourself in a cryogenic chamber until they create science that makes us live forever and then come out and play again and beat Lionel Messi's records. But in the meantime, you know, we've had to sit through. There's so many pundits in England and the preponderance of them come from Manchester United. Roy Keane, who like just just craps on everything. Well, no, he was like pleasant and a lot worse at Manchester United. And, you know, the love from those pundits gave Ronnie a lot of protection. Rio Ferdinand said, Ronaldo needs more respect from Ten Hag. He, he should be treated differently, but he shouldn't, should he? You, not only should he not, but he cannot. And these guys know that. They know how sensitive a locker room culture is, how fragile the chemistry is. Yeah, and Ten Hag, I think, has handled it brilliantly. The Dutch are wonderfully straightforward in the way they deal with things. They have a very, you know, strong and unambiguous code about the way things ought to be done. I mean, the irony is, of course, that 
you know, Manchester United, their previous Dutch coach, they found the most complicated Dutchman in the world in Louis van Gaal. But now in Ten Hag, they've got a simple, direct Dutchman, and this is the way he's going to deal with this. I always felt that Louis van Gaal died so that Ten Hag could live. He was also street shooting. He was totally bewildered by just the maze of politics and and non-football decision-making at the football club. He was almost... Um, like Ned Stark, just totally bewildered, a Dutch Ned Stark when he got to King's Landing. But locker rooms are fragile. In MLS, for instance, like designated players, how they behave sets the tone for the entire club. The designated player in MLS, they get like millions more than everybody around them. And Ronaldo's getting $575,000 a week. And when wow. they are young and hungry, like Miggy Almiron when he was Atlanta, if you speak to the Atlanta players, they, they say Miggy would come to training and just bring it. He knew he was headed somewhere. Um, and so everybody rose to his level. And when they're drawing a salary and phoning it in like Andrea Perlo at NYCFC or late career Kaka at Orlando, you speak to the players and they were just like, God, when they're setting that example, none of us give a crap. And they undermine the coaches, the culture buckles. And that is how football cultures work. Managers letting big players slide create utter chaos. And I agree with you. It's sad to see this undoubted great Cristiano Ronaldo totally tarnish himself in decline. There's, there, there's some vanity. There's the intense self-focus, like the inwards looking on everything. Every moment is about himself. And also that sheer competitive drive. I want to be back in the team. I don't care that my team are winning. It's me, me, me. Those all propelled him in his greatness. That's what is remarkable about this moment. And are now almost eating his soul alive of us all watching but there's no doubt that we saw under Ragnit Ronaldo being kind of pampered, being listened to, being given that different treatment. Yes, he scored the goals, but the team were lesser as a collective. He won't press, which for Ten Hag makes him almost like a footballing flat earther. And so now we see like Ronnie, the Ronnie in exile years, he's burnt through the allies in the United locker room, banished from the squad ahead of what is one of the biggest clashes of the season. Back in training, as I said this morning, talk of an exit to Italy, which I find hard to believe. Davo, how does this prolonged, can we call it a conscious uncoupling? How does it end? One of two ways. Either Ronaldo is going to find a way to contribute to Manchester United. And I actually still believe he's got a lot to contribute off the bench, starting some of their other games. You know, these, these top teams play a lot of games in a season. Um, so I still think he can compete or it's going to happen in the transfer market. The problem is with where the global economy is, no one has quite the amount of money that they had before for a luxury signing. And at this point, that's what Cristiano Ronaldo would be. And it's 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 going to be very tough for a signing to make sense for both the club and the individual player. I can't believe ultimately January Ronaldo's contract will be terminated He'll be left kind of like that giant container ship that was jammed in the Suez Canal last year until he heads off to Saudi Arabia or MLS. And oh, oh, and I continue to try and ship this one into existence. Dave, bear with me here. You're a television man. Ronaldo, welcome to Wrexham season two. Ronnie and Ryan Reynolds, that's a lot of ours. Ron, Ron, Ryan Reynolds. What a double act. Ron, Ron with a W in front of it. That wasn't that their... Uh... 
Uh, wasn't that their advertising campaign? A lot of teeth in those aviator gin ads. Stranger things have happened in football. We're about to have a World Cup in Qatar, Rog. So really, that seems like, you know, by comparison, <laughs> uh, far less galling. Oh, I can't spell Wrexham without Ron Ron. <laughs> <laughs> to the game. Oh, uh, and United Storm. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't know where we were in the rundown. I forgot we hadn't even spoken about the game yet. And that's the podcast. That's by the way. That's how Ronaldo. That's what or whatever. That's, that's how Ronaldo would like us to do the podcast. We've yeah. said all the news in football that's yeah. important in this moment. But there was a game, and United stormed into it. From the off, Casemiro, Fernandez, Eriksen buzzing around. And we were treated to the unfamiliar side. It is an unfamiliar side. Manchester United, massive game, oozing belief, taking it to their opponents, top-tier opponents on the road. And we had Casemiro, that, that beautiful Brazilian perfect square, propelling the team forward with a guile and a confidence. He just looked like the kind of player, kind of brain that United had cried out for the longest time. Intelligence, base of the, of the midfield player. Smart couple of saves from Kepa. Captain's goalless. 35 minutes. Incredible moment for you boys. Graham Potter ringing in the changes. Yeah. Um, you know, it was clear he was playing three at the back. We were outnumbered in midfield. Um Badly, it was nice to see a Chelsea manager adjust that quickly. It's been a while. Uh, switched to a new formation, played four at the back. Suddenly, we had an extra player in midfield. You know, his old boy Kukurea was sacrificed. Um, on comes Kovacic, and uh, the game started to to shift. The you know became more even. Big time boss move, we should say. Graham Potter instantly gave Chelsea more traction. That extra hand, as you say, in midfield. COVID drove them forward, created that first chance for Uber to improvise a soft roller just wide. Jen's gone a little cold since his hot return. And for their part, United started to create Anthony rifling a chance wide with his with his crappy right peg. We asked how you say chocolate leg in Portuguese at Jay Couto in said. Perna de chocolate, but down here in Brazil, we say that the non-shooting leg is just on the player to allow him to get up on the bus. I love that phrase, David. <laughs> so para subir no omnibus, we're going to use that one. Second half was what they call an engrossing tactical battle where the chances aren't exactly flowing, but the managers keep tweaking the midfield to try and increase their leverage, suffocating, cut, thrust, nip, foul, Ten Hag, Yank Sancho, unleash the thread, shunted Bruno left, which led to equality in the midfield. AKA stalemate, Loftus Cheek, Mano Mano, Gripple grappling for influence against Casemiro. I think neither side had a shot on target in the first 35 minutes of the second half. Raz still desperately trying to work out how to influence games in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, did it feel like it was drifting off into a stalemate to you? Yeah, I thought it was an enthralling game, actually. It was, it's a long time since I've watched, um, you know, any managers other than. Klopp and Guardiola in the Premier League in a sort of a tactical, you know, dance off against each other. I mean, you cut to the sideline, you saw Ten Hag with his little checkers board there, moving his players around, like, um, <laughs> you know, doubling up, like trying to figure out what to do. Suddenly, you know, Luke Shaw seemed to, out of nowhere, had a lot more space, a lot more freedom uh, on the ball. I love the way both managers you know, they have quite rigid tactical systems, but they allow their individual players to express themselves and give them freedom to move around. Lots of tactical flexibility. You're expected to be able to play in not just three different positions, maybe five or six different positions. Um, I thought that the the battle between Loftus-Cheek and Casemiro in midfield was, you just couldn't take your eyes off it. I did, however, feel that Manchester United, 
you know, this was more impressive than Man United. They looked like the better team, you know, throughout the 90 plus minutes. I do want to acknowledge just the emotional low light. It was hard to watch Varane limp off in floods yeah. of tears, non-contact injury with the World Cup coming. Even in money-soaked modern football, even with all of FIFA's craving corruption, you could see in his face that tournament remains the stuff of childhood dreams for the players. And it did to me. It felt like we were just drifting off into stalemate until 84th minute corner. McTominay holding the bearded jaw of Broya. Oh, a foul, Dave. One that's almost, could you say, been left on the law books, but laid dormant, a bit like jaywalking. Still a crime, but everybody does it. Yeah, it was uh, It was a fairly, uh, I think the commentators did their best to try and make it seem like that. that isn't called very often in the Premier League. I think when you have two arms around a player, it tends to get called, uh, certainly if it gets seen by a referee or by VAR. I thought it was a stone cold penalty. And, you know, despite a very long briefing from Fernandez to his uh to his keeper, um, uh, you know, there he was, Jorginho hoppity skippity jumped, old old school Jorginho penalty, and yes. put it into the back of the net. Oh, looking ever more like an Italian William Defoe. And that felt like that. We were we were suddenly flicking through the facts. Graham Potter became the first manager to beat Manchester United in one season with two different teams, last done in 1909. But in the 95th minute, ten hog time, Davo, Casemiro had other ideas. Luke Shaw, uh, free after a not great uh, Thiago clearance. Um, Luke Shaw with a fantastic ball into the box. Casemiro wins the header against his own <laughs> against his own teammate and just puts it back across the goal. Brilliant controlled header um, across the line by just millimetres, but that counts. That's a goal, Rog. God, and, it was incredible, uh, man kind of falling backwards. I think the dude is like six foot one, uh, which is tall. But I also believe, and I've not got the measurements exactly, uh, that he's also about six foot one wide. So to yeah. see him get that kind of big air athletically, kind of kind of gold James Harden would conjure. He computed mm. space and time and angle and power from distance. Millimetres over the line. First goal, Kepra conceded in 623 minutes. He got an agonising hand on it. I think he even helped it over the line and then tried to scramble, pretend that it wasn't over the line. God bless Casemiro. Dude's been at United for uh, for about five minutes. He's won everything, including the Champions League five times. But God, in that moment, you saw as he roared towards the United faithful just how much he cared. That roar, I am Casemiro. Let me smite my enemies so that you will love me. I mean... They said he was just coming for cash, many of the pundits, when that Brazilian perfect square arrived. You know, that he only cared about one last payday or or maybe had some deep buried hidden love of the Smiths. But God, in this one, he just ripped out his opponent's heart, presented it to the fans, said, I am a true competitor. It was it was real. I mean, there were, there were some haters who were like, look at United celebrating an equaliser like they just won the league. I thought it was incredibly profound, Dave. Like, United in this moment, something that they misplaced for so long and it had almost been found in a dead letter office, a signal to the league that United are transformed, that they have intent, they can bring menace, and that they're back. Casemiro reminding me of another. Uh, Brazilian soccer player coming to the Premier League late in his career, the aforementioned Thiago Silva, like playing with a passion and a love of football that is clear for everyone 
uh, to see. I thought Man United were impressive in this game, even if they hadn't have scored at the end. I loved the way they played the whole game. I loved the way they fought back and how just the effort they showed at the end of the game and the ingenuity amongst that effort. And I thought it was a very, you know, more than a deserved result. I think Chelsea were very lucky to escape out of this game with a draw. 26 draw in this fixture. I think no Premier League match has had more shared points. Fair result, arguably. Is it possible to split these two teams when you think about who's more locked on for fourth place? I mean, it's tough. I think it's going to be, we say this every year, how competitive the top four is. I think it's going to be a very, very competitive race, including, you know, Newcastle United, including some other teams who could um, compete for that. So, yeah, I think it's tough to you know, separate over the long haul these two teams. And I think what we are going to see is we're going to see a lot of these big six teams do damage to each other throughout the season. We've certainly seen that already. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites, California, Texas, and Georgia. God speed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because price picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Southampton won, Arsenal won. Top of the table, Arsenal dropped their first points in four league games. During a rough and tumble affair, Granit Xhaka opened the scoring 11 minutes into the match, meeting a Ben White cross with his weak foot to half volley home. That was his second right-footed goal in three days after scoring zero for Arsenal in seven years prior. But the lead slipped (laughs) in the 65th minute. Southampton putting together an excellent move that culminated in a geometric exchange of passes between Mohamed El-Yunusi and Stuart Armstrong, the latter rolling a finish agonisingly beyond Aaron Ramsdale's outstretched foot. You could feel the Arsenal heartbreak, but they stay top. But their advantage on City now a slender Dubois. Arsenal arrived down south. Eager to put their title challenge bona fides on display. 
against Southampton, who were already down a Kyle Walker-Peters and then had to carry Shea Adams only on the bench because of a knock. And so Arteta's mob started sprightly, getting bodies forward in numbers over and over. And 11 minutes in, Xhaka opened the scoring, getting on the end of a fine Ben White cross, smacking it first time with his right foot. Q astonished Arsenal fans. At Joe tweeted, weak foot too. Last year, he could hardly stand on his right foot, let alone shoot. <laughs> yeah, what's it, getting onto the bus or something? I don't know what it's it is. Just, and his right foot is just for getting on the bus. And it felt like, in that moment, Arsenal were set to roll, right? Yeah, they were all over them. It was, uh, it, you know, I could just feel all, all of my Arsenal mates, the, the, the group texts were, it was banging across the group texts around the world. And, um, you know, it looked inevitable that they were going to score three or four. But they all actually made them do something that City used to do pre-Harlem, which is take their foot off that accelerator, drop the intensity, let Southampton back in. And City could probably do it because they are, well, they're City. But second half, needing a goal to finish off Southampton. Instead, Arsenal suddenly just looked knackered. Gabriel Jesus in particular looked shattered and overplayed. And instead of potency, he just seemed to scream, I need a bloody rest. As diehard Arsenal fans who retain the sense of old school pessimism in a way that only old school Arsenal fans can do, began to mutter, I can see why City moved him on. Um, and a lot of the, my texts of Arsenal fans involved the words, chance conversion, just not there. And this all <laughs> came back to haunt Arsenal. In the 65th minute, Southampton connected on an early UC reverse pass to Stuart Armstrong. His first goal since March. It felt like a real sucker punch. Yeah, it was a very nice goal as well. Yeah, it was a sucker punch. But <clears throat> how often do we see this in the Premier League? Not just City, Rog. We see, you know, superior... Uh, air quotes, teams dominating uh, lesser clubs, air quotes. And then somehow the lesser club finds a way to like put one on the nose of the opposition. And uh, I thought it was fantastic. And the pain of concession, I think it was reinforced by Southampton's masterclass in shithousery down the stretch, their physicality, let's just say, moved into the, the grey area, the grey zone, Lianco. Showed that he's got a black belt in the dark arts, loves a bit of throat grabby, football headbutts, which are not like real headbutts. It's more like mime, arch villain mime headbutts. And the referee's attempts to regain control of the game were... Mm, so it just gave the second half a stop-start nature, which I think was Hassan Huttle's plan. The more the game broke up the rhythm, the more Southampton were favoured. They were able to hold on. And as Daniel Story pointed out, Hassan Huttle's team have now taken four points from four games against the top five in the league wow. table and five points from four games against the bottom five. Ralph, don't mm. say that he doesn't do everything he can to keep things utterly bewildering. But this was Arsenal's first draw since January. That perfect record takes another neck. That's what's amazing about this, Davo. It's almost that City are so truly terrifying. I mean, Arsenal have only dropped five points all bloody season. But I think City, the sound of their hooves coming like the riders of the apocalypse, it just, they feel so inevitable. That's what made this result feel dark. You're still top of the table, Arsenal. Yeah, it's like a miler uh, uh, going into the final uh, lap. You know, definitely two or three strides ahead of, of, the, of the runner on their shoulder. But that runner is six foot seven, uh, doesn't look at all out of breath and looks like they've got quite a lot left in the tank. You've just described Erling Haaland, David, which we will get to, but just savour every second. 11 games in, top of the table, a November 6th visit to Chelsea, suddenly feels seismic. 
Manchester City, the aforementioned three, Brighton and Hove Albion won. City bounced back from that Liverpool loss with a convincing home performance powered by that Bergen Railway locomotive of a number nine, <laughs> Erling Haaland. He scored his 16th and 17th league league goals. Rog, they're not even all comps. 16th and 17th league goals before halftime. For the first, he ran on to an incredible Edison ball, told defender Adam Webster to hit the weight room. Absolutely <laughs> big boying him off the ball. I mean, it was more than a shoulder. It was his entire frame that sent him flying and then rolled one into an empty net. Haaland bashed home a penalty for the second. I mean, it almost broke the net. And after an excellent trossard shot found its way in from range, KDB poured water on Brighton, curling home from the edge of the box mm. with time and space. It's what he does. It's what City do. City, desperate to rebound from that haunting loss at Anfield. Not lost two league games on the bounce since December 2018. Pep rang in the tactical changes. Shocking. I mean, it, no one expected this. You know, we think we know him. We don't know him. He's just always going to pull out something off the training ground that will shock us. And in this case, it was a pair of denim jeans that were as heinous as they were undoubtedly expensive. What do you make? Yeah. Tell me what. Tell me what's going on there. I don't think those are from this year's collection. They don't seem to be. Uh, you know, those feel like maybe four or five years old, maybe even older, Rog. That's just, that was an interesting wash. I believe acid may have been in the title uh, somewhere. Seemed to be rips, paint splatters. There's just a lot going on in those pair of jeans, Rog. And they were tight. They were yeah. they were Jesse Marsh level tight. I don't know. I don't know if Pep is like, you know, fashion that's so out, trying to bring it back in. And he's really trying to angle for some true religion sponsorship deal. But his pants, if you've not seen them, just Google them because they can only be described as as midlife crisis made out of <laughs> denim. And Brighton, God, talking about midlife crisis, had not won in seven weeks under the Zerbe. City charge at them without mercy. One minute, Harlan was brought down by Robert Sanchez. Penalty somehow not given. And Young Erling reacted simply, powerfully. I think it took about two minutes. Edison took advantage of Brighton being hyper-aware of their opponent's ability to pass, 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 take them apart from the back, which meant Brighton were constantly over-committing to the press. So Edison, he just went long, dispatched an exquisite Josh Allen of a spiral, a long ball which he allisoned into space. Arlan charged on, ran around the keeper at warp speed, as Ray Hudson will say. What did he do? Adam was it wasn't it wasn't a shot. It was as if he unleashed the whole of Norwegian history into the man. The way he went, it was like watching Johnny Cash shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Well, he runs with so much purpose. Quite apart from his size and his power, he just runs with so much purpose. And Webster was never really getting near the ball, and you know he was trying to sort of pick the ball off. Haaland's feet, but you can only go shoulder to shoulder, battering ram to battering ram, even if you've got a smaller battering ram. But Webster, when you look at it from behind the goal, I mean, Webster went flying. He just went, he just got, it was literally like there was some sort of explosive came out of Haaland's right side and just took him out. It was unbelievable. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Webster is six foot three. At yeah. Chatham253 tweeted us, said this before, other strikers watch Ronaldo and Messi videotapes. Erling Haaland watches Marshawn Lynch. God, yeah. rip Adam Webster. Haaland then converted a penalty. With his traditional style of finishing that mixes zen and anger. He did tell me in an interview, Davo, that he does try and break the net 
uh, with his shots. And that's what I thought of in this moment. 17 goals for the Norwegian Meat Shield after just 11 games, people. He needs just, and can I use the word because it is him, just he needs just 17 more to hit the Premier League single season record of 34 set by the great Andy Cole and Alan Shearer uh, together and this is how this is where we are I mean this is a maybe from an American perspective a number of you have tweeted is this just like the English psyche is this what you do when you're watching moments of wonder English journalists already writing pieces about whether watching Haaland is making football boring, Davo, as if he's a bully and no one can contain him. We could, on the one hand, blame that on an English mentality, but you could also blame it on the fact that we've got this insane 24-7, 365 news cycle in football and editors are screaming at their uh, reporters and columnists to have a different angle and to write something. And so that gets Hot takes! Written. Give me hot takes! And if, you know, if you follow the NFL in this country, you you find similarly ridiculous things debated on on a, a number of talk shows. Not the ones produced by Embassy Row, of course, but on a number of shows and, um, you know, written, you know, the hot takes are all over. But yes, it's a... It's insane. Just to think, the other thing that keeps on occurring to me, Rog, is Erling Haaland is about to get a month's rest. It's a big mistake, City. Don't let him rest. Just keep him. Just have him knocking players over on the training. Go rent Adam Webster and just have him pound him into the turf. (laughs) Adam Webster, do you like money? Yeah? Okay, we got a plan for you. But they're, you know, like a sparring partner. Um, the, 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 The thing about, is it getting boring? There was a similar narrative, I remember... Um, about Spain when they were at their tiki-taka peak 2010, when they simply were so controlling of the ball, they, they coveted it, they, they hungered for the ball at their feet, that they denied the opposition the chance to so much as touch the ball. And you know, there was a cry in the, in the same way in that World Cup. It's boring watching them play football. It was, it was humanly magnificent to witness it. It really was, as it is with Haaland now, you know, tossing aside Adam Webster, a professional footballer who is an elite player playing his own bloody right. It is stunning. Honestly, I was trying to think what I've seen that's that's at that level. Um, Tyson at his peak was was humanly terrifying and searing, but so superlative. Haaland, he's almost the first footballer to play like the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Dave. It's awesome and it's terrifying. His goals all look different from each other. You know, that he's he's finding new ways. Like, we haven't seen that. We've seen variations of his strength and his power and him sort of muscling defenders out of it. But we haven't seen that goal. Um, the penalty he took seemed to be different and stronger and more powerful than the penalties <laughs> he hit before. He seems to be gaining more power as he adjusts to the Premier League. It, I don't think it was this easy for him in Germany, Rog. This is unbelievable what we're witnessing. Brighton, though, they can play fine, fine football. And when ophthalmology aficionado Trossard lashed a 53rd minute goal to Edison, the were, a goal, by the way, that was great for two reasons. Brighton hadn't scored, I think, in 332 constipated minutes. Um, and it also made the game suddenly feel like a moment of challenge. Trossard made it nervy. He had another one-on-one with Edison, which the neck tattoo stuck on the human torso, parried. And within three minutes, KDB stepped up, made Brighton pay, Summoning a world, they thundering a wave of a shot from outside the area, thrashed by a dude with a cat eye makeup looking black eye, product of a ball to the face in training. There, this was the closest we may get to KDB scoring with his eyes closed. 
Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal strike and a weekend of phenomenal strikes. Um, just beautiful to watch. I love how when he was asked uh, after the game to describe, you know, what went into on the training ground, what went into his preparation in order to in order to sort of make that goal and to talk through it. He really had nothing. He just had nothing, no way to answer the question because he can't use human words, human communication to explain the talent he has and the ability he has. That it's is true. Really it's otherworldly. True. It's true. Great poets don't want to explain their stanzas, Davo. It's for it's for the rest, the lesser humanity to interpret them. Two goals, nine assists on this season already for KDB. And perhaps most frightening of all for uh, those watching the game, Pep afterwards said, he can do better. His dynamic is still not perfect. I've spoken to him. Can you imagine trying oh. to lecture anyone about anything wearing those jeans? <laughs> <laughs> Nottingham Forest 1, Liverpool 0. The shock result of the weekend, Rog. Liverpool come undone at the city ground. Their hull breached in the 55th minute after one of their own, Taiwo Omoni, tapped home the rebound off a Ryan Yates cross that came back to the Nigerian off of the post. We should say it was a deserved opener for the home side who were wonderful in this one. Liverpool were denied an equaliser by Forrest's Dean Henderson, (sighs) whose heroic performance in goal is sure to cause a global boom in cap wearing. Run, don't walk to your local haberdashery. I think it was a 47 hat as well he's wearing that made me feel very, very emotionally connected. But what narrative flip? Premier League writers and sport. Liverpool had only just moved into top five. Normal service felt like it had been resumed after that Manchester City win. Headed to Forest. Oh, they hadn't won there in the Premier League. Granted, they're not played there since 1999. But the atmosphere by the River Trent, it was ecstatic. Kind of day Forest fans had dreamed of through their decades in exile. And for the beginning... The team set a tone against Liverpool, who Klopp would later describe the way they played as us against ourselves. Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah blew shockingly open chances from set pieces. Virgil inexplicably heading across goal rather than into it and marked at the far post six yards out. And huge credit to Forrest because they set out to frustrate Liverpool. But with all those injuries, Diaz, Thiago, Jota, Darwin, Liverpool look like a team with no brain, Dave. No creativity, no aggression, no bite. Yeah, we should be generous to Nottingham Forest because certainly Jurgen Klopp wasn't after the game. Uh, it was a fantastic performance. But yeah, Liverpool definitely looked tired. I mean, you mentioned this earlier on about players looking knackered in the second half of these games when we were talking about Arsenal. And I thought, you know, Liverpool looked very tired. And yes, this... You know this uh, the fixture congestion we have this this very tough scheduling we have for these teams that are playing European football leading into this World Cup seems to be starting to take a toll. Yeah, the best player on the field, Ryan Yates, seems to be everywhere for the tricky trees, and then a moment which was just as shocking in its own way as Liverpool taking the lead against Manchester City just a week before. The Reds reverted to their shocking trope of being vulnerable on the counter. Cook slapped a ball into the box. Taiwo got something onto it, propelled it onto the post, got his own rebound, roofed the opportunity. What a stunning moment. Yeah, and this all came from, you know, on the break, Gomez hauling down uh, Awoni that gave the free kick opportunity. And it was a really well-deserved goal. And uh, you know, the, the, I just loved the crowd and the city ground just went mental. I loved it also for Awonye, a young Nigerian striker, signed for Liverpool actually as a 17-year-old, huh. struggled to get a work permit, had to spend six agonising years on a, a series of, I think, seven perma loans, 
which he's talked about as really undermining his confidence. And then the moment his work permit came through, Liverpool sold him on. He never played a game for the Reds in all that time as he miasgered across Europe. And to finally have his have his day against Liverpool, it must have felt incredible. I love this stat from that oily sailor. Taiwo Awonye is the second player with YNWA in his surname to score a Premier League goal against Liverpool after Victor Wanyama. Stats. 1-0 leads, though, have not traditionally meant a lot to Forest this season. I think they've had two points out of 12 uh, when they'd managed it, and Liverpool charged forward. It was Dean Henderson, tight of shirt, baseball captive head, kept them at bay, enormous saves down the stretch. One from a leaping downwards verge header, which the Forest crowd celebrated as if Forest had scored a goal. It was it was incredible. And I love this week. Aaron Judge bringing badge kissing to baseball. Dean Henderson responding by bringing baseball hats into football. Todd <laughs> Burley must have been looking down from heaven, Dave. I just, <laughs> just beaming. My two sports merging just as I predicted. I love it. That's another 500 billion of revenue. He's just figuring it all out. The PowerPoints are exploding at Stamford Bridge. Forrest are back. Forrest are back, sang their delirious crowd less than a month ago Forrest were being smoked by Leicester 4 nil felt like Steve Cooper was done for but now god that you know exile of 23 years they've returned a game with echoes of the old Clough Bob Paisley days Google them listeners of the 70s and 80s when the two teams were among the best in the footballing world and winning a game was really the one that almost could propel either of them towards the title. I felt for Forest fans, David, just joy, a second consecutive clean sheet, just a wonder, just going home and going mental for it all over Nottingham, knowing that maybe someone somewhere, Davo, is finally going to sponsor their jerseys. Yeah, Dean Henderson being, uh, who was literally being embraced by the crowd. He was in the crowd for a good few minutes <laughs> after the final whistle. They finally let him go. Uh, just wonderful scenes. Hope is a thing with feathers and baseball caps. But that final whistle, really a reminder that football is filled with wonder and uncertainty and just light and darkness. Liverpool beat City, then lose to bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest, six days later. Hard to say which result is a bigger shock. Successive away league defeats, first time since February 2017 for Klopp. Just one win on the road this season. They do love a loss, it should be said, to a bottom three team. They love to sprinkle them in. But Klopp seems shattered, utterly shattered post-game. That dark narrative back, it feels as low as possible. I have no idea how we can lose this game, to be honest. Yes, Liverpool undone by injuries. Three games in six days. The first two have such high intensity and it's all come crashing down, Dave. I, I was surprised Klopp didn't talk about how impossible it is to keep up with a team who'd brought in 22 new players in the off-season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he could have, that, that, that might have been his, his second-choice uh, press conference narrative. Uh, okay, Tottenham 1, Newcastle United 2. Tottenham get tuned by or piffed oh. by Eddie Howe's boys who emerged from this match. The superior low-block, fast-break team. Callum Wilson opened the scoring after half an hour. He and Spurs keeper Hugo Lloris had an awkward coming together outside the box like two people trying unsuccessful to avoid each other in a narrow hallway. Lloris was left stranded. Wilson lobbed it home. 
10 minutes later, Miguel Almiron doubled Newcastle's lead, dancing through the Tottenham defence at speed oh, and Mickey. beating Maurice. His fifth goal in five games. Harry Kane pulled one back from a corner in the second half, but Newcastle held on for a win that moved them up to fourth place, only two points behind Tottenham in third. Next thing you know, Newcastle going to be coming for Spurs NFL games too, Roger. God, it's Spurs. Suddenly, ooh, a narrative of darkness for them. A slew of injuries, including Huybert and Romero now, in addition to Rich Arlison and Kulu, rattled in the changes. I think they're playing in a 43-day spell, playing 13 games. Uh, and got to credit them from the off. I thought they were they were sprightly. Both sides had chances. Pope denying Sonny and Kane. Spurs tried to defend, play on the break. But to succeed with that, for Conte football, the defending has to be perfect. And this Spurs, oh, they were self-sabotaging. First, disaster for Laurie Shaw. Clipped a speculative ball in behind. The French goalkeeper came out. Tried to control with his thighs, Davo. And he and Callum Wilson collided. I don't know what you what you saw here, but to me, it was as if Loris expected that the protect the goalkeeper mentality would immediately draw a foul. Yeah, it just doesn't extend that far outside the area, Roger. I think that you sort of have to be within the penalty area to get protected. Uh, he'd come so far, um, and I think it was uh, I think it was fair enough. Uh, I don't think he was going to get protected on that. Absolutely. The way he fell defied physics. Wilson, God love you, playing to the whistle, collected the ball, collected his mind. And with a goalkeeper floundering like a French salted cod, executed a poem of a chip over Eric Dyer and Lloris rightly punished. It would get worse for Tottenham and Lloris, who attempted to clip the ball out the back. Miggy Almiron pounced. Sessignon tried to bring him down, failed. Miggy charged on. Blue plus Longley then summoned an incredible finish to flummox the goalkeeper. Really a simply sensational moment of football from a player who is feeling it. He's been charged by Eddie Howe, who's really resurrected him. Go forward at will. You know, this is Miggy who was buried and mocked by Jack Bloody Grealish just randomly. Uh, I don't know if you remember that just uh, uh, when City was celebrating their title, just suddenly compared a terrible Riyad Mored performance to Miggy Elmerod. This was his Michael Jordan, I took that personally moment. They were five in five games, six overall for Miggy. To me, he's what the MLS should be. Like, like the Belgian and Dutch league, really a staging ground for, for talent for South American and Central American talent to be sold on. Yeah, and look, there has been an arc um, with him since he arrived at uh, Newcastle. You know, I think he started incredibly brightly, um, lots and lots and lots of potential, but then lots of question marks about him in terms of like what his genuine um, contribution was uh, to the side. You're right, Eddie Howe has found the player we always knew he was. Uh, he's just playing with <sighs> such guile, such amazing feats, such speed. Um such smarts. Um, just he's he's one of the players in the Premier League right now that you just can't take your eyes off of. He's superb. An almighty downpour ensued as if even the gods were angry with Tottenham. 
but Spurs found a way to get into it. Harry Kane battling Trippier off a set piece. It was like watching a defensive tackle grapple with an offensive lineman and just just ending with an Aaron Donald swim move to nod it in on the line. Our Ariel Plev said, Davo, Harry Kane in the pass rush, he's unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, when that goal went in, I thought, wow, that was a very World Cuppy goal. That's the kind of goal we expect Harry Kane to score in Qatar at the World Cup. Come um, on, Harry. Uh, but yeah, it was. he's always finds a way to get on the score sheet. He's quietly, stealthily having a very, very good season. Yes, and the goal was a mood changer. Even the lightning stopped. Spurs ratcheted up the pressure, but Newcastle suddenly have the best defensive record in the league, kept things mm. congested at the back. And for Spurs, a gutting loss. They started the season so buoyantly, but in this one, the goals were self-inflicted. While they did take the initiative in the second half, they honestly created little... And that's what makes the fans ache. And I did appreciate Jack Pitt Brooks, who covers Tottenham for The Athletic, his analysis. He said, in the first set of games, I thought Spurs' performances were correct, as in improve in the direction of their results. But the reality of the last few weeks, lost three of the last five, is that their results have corrected in the direction of their performances. And Newcastle, Dave, out into the top four making the case that we are now living in the era of the Big Seven, question mark. How high might Newcastle, yes, blood money and all, how high might their ceiling be? Well, I mean, it could be infinitely high, uh, right? Because they've certainly got the money to compete. Um, you know, the less cynical view is they have a, a young manager who seems to be getting the best out of the players that he has. You know, they haven't spent a ridiculous amount in the transfer market. They haven't they haven't really had to yet, um, and they are. Uh, but the, I think the purchases they have made have been superb. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Newcastle definitely could emerge into uh, and turn the Big Six into the Big Seven. They've now drawn. We're both Manchester clubs. Delivered that signature win away at Tottenham. Top four rhythm. They are off to Saudi Arabia, of all places. Who would have thought for a warm weather training camp, what, Eddie why Howe... Would they choose, why would they choose Saudi Arabia? Well, funny enough, Eddie Howe was asked that question. And he said, um, it gives me, and it gives me no pleasure. I do need to remind you, I don't like to say this, but um, it does bear keeping being repeated. This is a nation which hacks journalists apart with bone sores. But uh, Eddie Howe made it clear the decision to go there was made from, quote, a purely footballing backdrop. Yep. Yeah. yeah, the footballing uh, backdrop is that Saudi Arabia own your football team. I think that's a footballing backdrop. That seems reasonable. Uh, yeah, they'll travel to Riyadh in December during the Premier League break. They'll play Al-Hilal. Why not? Wow. In a friendly. We've made a football decision, said Eddie Howe. We've looked at the World Cup break. What's the best thing for the team? We've made it from a purely footballing backdrop. Yes, a football decision. Because, David, they honestly, I think their first choice was to travel to the land of Piff. <laughs> but it, yeah, but it but it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. It sounds like um, somewhere in Thomas the Tank Engine, maybe Piff. Okay, Roger. <laughs> oh my ask- God! Bite, bite your arm off for an away day in Sodor. <laughs> Aston Villa 4 Brentford Everton Everton are going to get that's where they'll be (laughs) by an oligarch in Sudor nation building Sudor Everton are just there fortune in steam trains in England for years this character who runs Sudor with an iron fist he's actually a dictator if you actually look at the show in a very geopolitical way the guy's an autocrat not a nice man a total bastard Um, 
But when it came to America, they changed his name quite rightly because they couldn't use that adjective. And they call him, um, they call him Sir Topham Hat. Everton are going to get taken over. This is breaking news by Sodor for sports washing to try and clean Sir Topham Hat's image worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, so top of my hat. They won't be yep. singing his name in the terraces. Uh, so, Aston- I want to be clear. Sodor are not taking over. It's Piff Sodor. Yeah, you're just a fat controller in disguise. I love it. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke cold brew coffee always bold always smooth yes that is the very same stoke as in the mighty wrexham fortress known as the stoke kairas or the stoke Racecourse, wrexham afc's home they support it they support football which is just one great reason to love this coffee it is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Aston Villa 4, Brentford nil, an attacking display that was the equivalent of purposefully hitting Stevie G with the door on his way out. Got started within two minutes. Leon Bailey stroking home a short corner. Then five minutes later, the CONCACAFian provider cut back a cross for Danny Ings to extend the lead. Ings grabbed a penalty for a second on the day and Ollie Watkins rounded it out in the second half to earn Villa their first win in four games. And in more Villa news, Rog, old Premier League friend Unai Emery was confirmed as the new permanent manager at midday on Monday. Farewell, Stevie G, a manager who never found the right balance for his team, was weighed down by his acquisition of Coutinho, be careful what you wish for, and who aired tactically, once his assistant Michael Beale, the camp for Queen's Park Rangers, as Taylor Swift would say, everybody agrees, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. Do hope that doesn't rule him out as Liverpool's next manager, as Klopp (laughs) promised less than a year ago, David. They were like, oh, he's just in waiting for the Anfield job. In his absence, we tuned in to see how Aston Villa would begin the post-Stevie Gerrard era against Brentford. Brentford, who are on the road, a shadow of the team they are at home, and Villa just unleashed a barrage of goals. Each one, David, it was like watching a breath of relief that Steven Gerrard had left the building. Yeah, the entire uh, 90 plus minutes of the game was like an Aston Villa highlight reel. Um, They're playing with freedom. I mean, you've rarely seen 11 players happier to be playing under a new manager. Yeah, temporary Leon, manager. Yeah, Leon Bailey sparkled. Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins both scored. By the way, Ings, beautifully, it's on our Instagram. He walked out with a mascot from Villa Foundation's oh, Ability this. Counts Disability Football Sessions. And Danny Ings 
wore headphones to block out the crowd noise alongside the mascot who needed them. It was a beautiful thing to witness humanly. I'd just say karma goals are the best goals. Villagers delivered for their fans a feel-good day that they cried out for. Less a new manager bounce, more a new manager explosion. Talk about a team not playing for their old guy, Davo. Even Ming's bloody scored. And when I realised this, by the way, I do wonder... The only owner who's actually bonkers to actually try this, and I hope you're listening, is Todd Burley. Why does a team not just fire their manager every single week? Just play for that new manager bounce, then fire that new manager immediately, get a new one in and ride it all the way into Europe. Would it work? We should start a team in a league somewhere and we should call them yeah. New Manager Bounce United, NMBU. Yes. And we should, yeah. we should try out this hypothesis. I love it. Yeah, the team's motto in Latin will be, don't get too attached to the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> and yesterday, talking about new guys, it's an old guy. Old friend, Unai Emery, will be joining from Villarreal. Villa reportedly making contact first with Pochettino, then Tuchel, before landing on Unai Emery. Uh, just working their way backwards on PSG's Wikipedia page. That's scouting. But it's good to see the return of Emery, who got Arsenal fifth, but never truly won the trust of the fan base, quite cruelly, which led to his demise. His arrival means Villa have a proper, tactically excellent manager now, one deeply motivated to reassert himself in England and reassert the club. Villa are a club of longing. Their owners are actually spending money. They long to return to the old days of Villa glory, and they're now instant favourites for the Europa League, even though they're not in it. Uh, apparently, Rog, according to Google Translate, it's nimium attaciatus ad novum guy, non nimis. Guy doesn't seem to translate from English to Latin. <laughs> the interesting here is that, you know, we're watching Steven Gerrard. And on the whole, you bring in these young managers because of the relationships that they bond with the players. So they may not have all of that tactical ability. They may not have all of that managerial experience. But at least you feel that they'll bring on the younger players. I would actually contrast it with uh, with what Lampard was able to do in his first season at Chelsea and what Derby County, his first season at Chelsea, and now at Everton. He seems to have a very good relationship with the young players. What I find interesting about Gerrard is he seemed to establish no relationship with these players who surely watched him. Many of them played against him and realised, you know, what a good footballer he is. And it just wasn't there. There was a piece about this I loved by Ewan Murray in The Guardian, I think. He wrote about how great the desire has been for England's modern-day international playing heroes to become the nation's finest managers and how it just has not happened. Gary Lineker um, prefers to sit in the television studio and be the face of the game from there. David Beckham, he wrote, would rather own a club than manage one. And we want our English gods to, to persevere. I think mostly so that we can crap on them again, like we did with Stevie G at Villa. Um, and for Gerard. The next move, probably to the wild, free world of the footballing Essos that is the championship, where anything and everything can happen to him as he tries to reassert himself. Yeah. Uh, Fulham 3, Leeds United 2. Oh. Wow, another tough day out for Leeds. It started, hopefully, with a Rodrigo Moreno goal, but Fulham responded with three unanswered from Mitrovic, Bobby Reed, and... Willian, respectively. I'd love to see the 65-year-old Willian get on the score sheet in the Premier League again. Leeds have not won <laughs> in eight games, Rog. Flames are starting to lick your mate Jesse Marsh's Taylor Denims. Oh, it's desperate to stem the free fall 
against Fulham with their American contingent. Jesse Marsh rang in six changes in search of what he said was fresh legs. No Tyler Adams had a knock at Leicester, which is, please God, uh, as Jesse said, just an issue for, quote, a few days. 20-year-old Sam Greenwood started as the defensive shield in his place. A converted striker, a tall order to try and fill that role. Panic levels among the Leeds fans were at 11 before kickoff. And perhaps the biggest tactical change of all, this is the week for this conversation. What's going on? Jesse went blue denim, Dave. Grey stonewash. Didn't even make the starting squad. Yeah, was it a dark blue denim? Was it some kind of a chino? I'm not quite sure. I was more alarmed by the... um by the bomber jacket, Rog, and the bomber jacket, which you'll normally wear with a T-shirt, maybe with a collared shirt if you're a mod. But he went with a Henley underneath the bomber and underneath the Henley, a grey T-shirt. It was, that was a lot. When your job's on the line, that was a pretty bold choice of outfit. It, it's tactically incoherent and it did yep. not go, as we hoped and prayed, Leeds. Leeds were mitrovic and Fulham summer signing Andreas Pereira also showed the kind of quality savvy scouting that... Fulham have finally learned that intelligent recruitment is preferable. Who would have thought this to put in piles yeah. of cash in a garbage can and set it on fire at the final whistle? There was that haunting scene of Jesse Marsh gamely walking up to the furious Leeds fans, clapping them as they booed him back. A move some English media interpreted as him saying goodbye. He's expecting to be fired, but I do know Jesse quite well. This was him trying to show his players that he wouldn't hide in the worst of times, that he would take responsibility, that he would he would go and authentically reconnect to the fans um, and take responsibility in that moment. He really believes that. And, and he then said, I've got the backing of the board, which he does. Um, they do want this to work. They brief the press. They, they want to resist making a knee-jerk reaction. They are invested in him. They know that they sold the club's gold machine, Rafinha. They they even sold Dan James on the last day of the window. They let the club's heart beat, Calvin Phillips, who who's played one minute for City uh, since going. They let him leave too, and they, they have not adequately replaced any of them, left this squad dangerously thin. And a lot of this doesn't feel like Jesse Marsh's fault, Davo. But in these situations, we've seen this... I mean, we've seen this in so many clubs with the World Cup coming closer and closer, which is the time to change managers. When the fans do turn against a club yeah. and a club is in free fall with the World Cup coming up, it's the manager who goes, right? Yeah, and there's also the complication of Bielsa, who, you know, such a legend amongst those Leeds fans as well. And look, they, it's not like the fans didn't embrace Jesse Marsh. They definitely did embrace Jesse Marsh. And he deserved to be embraced with the performances that Leeds, um, you know, started with at the beginning of this season. It's just... It's not looking great defensive. They look way better going forward than they do um, defending. The quality of every team in the Premier League, including the newly promoted sides who all seem to be playing with a bit more nous this year. Um, it's going to be uh, tough going. I hope the board uh, stick by him. I do think he's the right manager for this team, for this group of players. Um, oh. But they're going to need reinforcements come January if he's going to hold out till the end of the season. Speaking to journalists who cover Leeds on the regs, they say they believe he has one more game against Liverpool at the weekend. I feel an agony for Jesse. Those two wins to open the season, that delirious piece of misdirection. Uh, if Jesse's guilty of anything, apart from uh, you know the, the early antics on the sideline, I think it's of trying to set up his team to play such exhausting, 
hard-charging football in a season when the games come so thick and so fast um, because of the World Cup break that it's almost self-sabotaging with such a tiny squad to do so. And the bright side is, I mean, I don't want to talk like this, but, you know, the conversation about who will be available to be the manager of the United States team in the 2026 cycle. That, that doesn't feel like a bright side right now. I'm Godspeed to him uh, the weekend. But for the young US players, this gent with his intelligent leadership, you can make the case he's exactly the face the US men's national team needs going forward. We will see. Okay, Wolves nil, Leicester City four, another underperforming team. Coming to life, Rog, Leicester played some ultra-efficient Leicester ball, turning four of their five shots into goals. The pick of the bunch, an absolute howitzer by Yuri Tillmans to open the scoring in the eighth minute. And a Jamie Vardy goal for the ages. Less because of the actual goal and more because of what he did immediately before and after it, Rog. Yeah, Wolves have just scored five in 12 games now. They're like an NFL team with such an impotent offense that their defense is now just exhausted and ground down and shattered because they have to carry so much of the mental and physical load. They're as vulnerable at the back in this one as they were incapable in attack. Yuri Tielemann spanking a drone strike of an opener, gifting the second to Harvey Barnes. And then the game became just about one Jamie Vardy, the first player in Premier League history to score 100 goals. This is incredible. After turning 30 years old, came on around the hour mark. His team already up 2-0. Uh, decided to down a full can of Red Bull before yeah, coming on. Naturally. Yeah, I can neither confirm nor deny whether there was brandy in it, but whatever. <laughs> he set up the third goal, finding James Madison, then grabbed this first league goal of the season and celebrated... By beginning, I'd say, to echo his move from last year where we decided, you know what? They're called Wolves. I'll howl like a wolf at the Wolves fans. <laughs> but then decided to stop, put on the brakes, waft his hand over his mouth and tell them, you've all got smelly breath. You've all got Alan's, what's it called? Sosies thingies. You halitosis. go, Vardy. Yeah, yeah. that's about, I doubt, I doubt Jamie Vardy knows the word halitosis, yeah. Jay. You go, Vardy. What a character. What a goal scorer. But they Ultimately, if we do ever do a follow-up to Gods of Soccer, which will naturally be Gods of housing, yeah. isn't that how he's going to be remembered? Because dude will be on the cover. Yeah, he's superb. He's just, he's, you know, every single time I see him, just it's chat, get banged. He's just is, or, or beers on the coach on the plane. And he's such a uh, Premier League character, uh, Rog, and still able to put the ball in the back of the net. You've which... all got Halle, what's it called? <laughs> oh, we're... we're... Wolves fans finish the game by singing, and I will paraphrase, we're effing crap, we're effing crap, we're effing crap. And the funny thing about the game, XG was Wolves 1.85 to Leicester 1.06, but it was Leicester who scored four times. So you might be effing crap, but you won the XG. 21 shots, no goals, Wolves season in one stat, which is, well, it's not nothing. Yeah, unfortunately, it's no points. West Ham 2, Bournemouth nil. Two handballs at the end of each half. Yeah. Doing Bournemouth at the London Stadium. Kurt Zuma rose to eventually nod in from a corner in the 45th minute after Tilo Kerr got away with keeping it alive with his hands. Late in the second half, with the Cherries chasing the game, Vladimir Sufal's cross struck Jordan Zamura's hand in the box. Saeed Benrama putting the ensuing penalty away. Oh, a game really... As if crafted to just illustrate the absurdity of the modern handball rule. I don't know what it is anymore. West Ham's first goal 
seemed to involve a bump set spike straight out of Misty May Trainer's form, but the ball hit West Ham's Johnson in the area on the hand as he controlled it. But Bournemouth were denied a penalty uh, for one of those handballs by a defender diving in. Um, one ender within seven minutes to cross, which hit Zamora on his arm. And that one was decided to be a penalty. And I don't know, I don't know what is and what is not handball anymore. I don't think many fans did. Um, and I felt for Gary O'Neill, who was howling afterwards, that new interim manager bounce wearing off. But David Moyes back from the dead once again, though he does look like he needs to hang upside down by his feet from a belfry on occasion. He has life again. His West Ham have life again up to 10th. And I do think the world feels like a better place when David Moyes is rocking it. Remember the handball rule when we were kids, Rogers? Just anything that hit your hand or your arm was handball. Even if it was blasted into your arm at your side from two feet away, it was still handball. That may be where we have to go back to so that any of this makes sense. <sighs> Everton, three. Crystal Palace, nil. Oh, the one you've been waiting for, Roger. Everton score more than one goal for the first time all season. Thanks to the feat of Dominic Calvert-Lewin from range, uh, from Anthony Gordon. That's more from old Dominic Calvert-Lewin range. And the pick of the bunch, a beautiful goal from Dwight McNeil. All three, the results of seriously impressive team moves, two of which went down as Alex Iwobi assists. The Iwobisance continues, Rog, and Everton keep playing just excellent football under Frankie Lampard. I want to take you back in time right before kickoff because I think I wrote this in our newsletter. I was dreading this game. I was in full, not in the face Crystal Palace mode. In fact, my dream, if you would ask me for a kickoff, what did I want to see in the next 90 minutes? I was like, a shot on goal, at least one would be nice. I think we'd fail to must a single shot on target for the past 180 minutes. So imagine my surprise, Davo, when Everton Football Club began. They pressed the life out of Palace and Wobi leading the charge high up, so hungry. And in the 11th minute, beautiful Dominic Calvert-Lewin jolted the ball loose. Belonda Wobes fed him back and God bless <laughs> Everton's number nine when DCL muscle Gahey. This was astonishing. This was even more astonishing to me in ways, even more than Harland, who you expect this from. He violated Gahey, finished crisply I honestly never thought we'd score again. Not not just a shot on goal, but a big boy goal. Davo, we're massive. Yeah, and everything was moving forwards. It was the momentum, momentum, momentum. Loved watching this. Calvert Lewin, honestly, doesn't don't remember him scoring many goals like this at Everton. Uh, as you said, like just abused uh, Gehi and, and knocked him off the ball, and a fantastic, um, you know, receive and finish ultimately. Um, beautiful football. Really enjoyed watching it. My friend DCL would later say that it's been the most difficult 12 months of his life and that to score again was just an immense human relief. 1-0 up. Everton now had something to lose. So their second goal was oh, a tour de force. And not just because it was. And I think this is the first time I've used these words in the 57 years we podcasted together, Dave it was an incredible Everton move. Have I ever said those three words before? Uh, no. I think we've heard Everton move, but I don't <laughs> think it was anything to do with football. <laughs> and so that's what we're saying about them going into their new stadium. Everton were going to move yeah, into their yeah, new exactly. stadium. Oh, starting with Pickford, playing out the back. I don't the only thing that could happen when Everton did that was us soiling ourselves and the opponent scored. But now, in this one, we suddenly 
turned into 1974 Ajax, 10 players combining cheating time and space and the fact that they're all really crap at football to become for a moment a whirring blur of wonder. Anthony Gordon swooping in with his ginger manisty to tap home Mikalenko's parried shot and a third Devo just, I mean, give the World Cup to Everton right now. Iwobi, possibly the only Sir Alex in football that really matters. Now, confident and free, setting up Dwight McNeil with a cunning back heel. 1-2, 3-0, Devo. I think it's the first time Everton have scored three big boy goals this season. Yeah, it was a beautiful 1-2 with Dwight McNeil. Fantastic uh, give and go. Wonderful wonderful back not back heel he sort of stepped on top of the ball and rolled it back uh from Alex Awobi the celebration is what I loved Rog because nobody was more surprised about that goal than the Everton players um it was just absolutely wonderful to watch yeah I joined McNeil I think didn't believe it was possible to get into double figures in goals for a whole season he kind of felt that this was this was uncharted territory and for a moment there was delirium and my son texted me this weekend told me that his best mate watched the Phillies reach the World Series and Samson texted me to say he heard that friend talk to his father in that moment. And he, he said, listening to that father-son conversation, he texted me this, Davo. He said, I wish a team we liked would do that too. <laughs> <laughs> it really broke yeah. me. And I wrote, I wrote back and said, this game, son, this game, this moment, it, yes, it may not have been a final, or really anything of merit that will ever be remembered by the storehouse of knowledge of human history. But it shunted us towards mid-table. And I do believe the quality of the goals, the shock of the victory, and the joy around Goodison Park at the final whistle may be as close as we come for a very long time. Find your joy wherever it existed, GFOPs. Make memories while you can. Yeah, no, I thought this was an excellent performance. Uh, wonderful to watch. Okay. Before we go, a quick reminder about everything we've got happening at Men in Blazers. Check our pod feeds for the latest episode of Go Go USA with Brendan Hunt and World Corrupt with Crooked Media's Tommy Vitor. Join us tomorrow live on AMP at 5 p.m. Eastern for a Champions League instant reacts AMP where we'll talk all of the games under the European lights. Just download the AMP app and come join us and ask your questions live on the pod. Until then, Rog, can we get a final tourist? I want to raise this shot of Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a shot glass to the NWSL playoffs, which did not disappoint us last Sunday. Just under 22,000 fans were attendance at OL Reign to watch footballing scrappy-do. Kansas City shocked the Shield-winning host 2-0, courtesy of an AD French masterclass in goal earlier. The Portland Thorns top bold newcomers. What a season the San Diego Wave have had. A crowd of 22,000, over 22,000 there at Providence Park. Really an incredible game. Stuffed with wonder goals. None finer than the winner. 93rd minute. Crystal Dunn, our friend, blasting an exclamation point drive to send the Thorns into the NWSL final. A goal that was magical in its own right but so much more profound when you remember that Crystal Dunn gave birth to her first child, baby Marcel, just 156 days earlier. Wow. Proof as if we needed it. The mothers are the greatest force in our world. Portland Thorns versus Kansas City Current next Saturday night in the final, 8pm Eastern Time, Audi Field, Washington, D.C. Be broadcast live on Network CBS and Paramount Plus. And big love, 
huge strength and courage to all. Okay, that's it for us. You can follow us, though, on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, on Facebook with the Men in Blazers, on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Men in Blazers. We're on YouTube. You can see a video version of our podcasts there. We apologize for that, but really there's so much content on YouTube right now. Please subscribe to that channel. We're on TikTok at Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendapunk Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fighting America. Love you, Dave. Love you, Rog. I love you, the Isle of Sodor. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow six trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.